after after Tammy and I are back from California. So there are a couple passages. Uh, this week it's First John chapter three, verse one and two, and then uh, next week Psalm thirty-one. Psalm thirty-one. Uh, I was just asked to preach on it somewhere else, and so I thought, hey, I can preach on it here, and then I can work on it, see how well it works, and preach on it there. So just. Honestly, I haven't preached on a psalm since I've been here, as far as I remember. So next week will be Psalm 31. But this morning, 1 John 3, 1 and 2. Uh, as I shared at the beginning of the service, it's been a hard year for me. I'm sure it's been a hard year for everybody. Uh, everybody. It's been, a, it's been a difficult year. And these two verses in 1 John are really what I've held on to. I feel like it's been kind of this lifeline promise for me. Um, as I thought the pandemic would end sooner, as I thought people would come back sooner, uh, as I thought those who disagreed with us would would find it in their hearts to uh, come back and be a part of our community sooner. Uh, as I shared earlier, dealing with the, the sadness of watching my parents decline. It's been a hard year, and these two verses in 1 John really have been what I have held on to. What I have told myself, it's been my mantra. And so I want to share them with you. Let me give you a little context in 1 John. He was probably the oldest apostle uh, written uh, in in his later years. uh, And Jerome, the church historian, talks about uh, it was known that John, they they say he was the pastor at Ephesus. So the book of Ephesians and, and that wonderful relationship that Paul had with that church in Ephesus. John was probably the pastor of that church in Ephesus. Uh, and they said as he got older and older, his, uh, his sermons would uh, always come down to maybe one sentence. Little children love one another. And they would say, why do you always say that? And he would say, because it is enough. And it's been really interesting for me because part of my dad's Dementia is he says the same thing over and over again. Asks the same question over and over again. Are you coming back tomorrow? Who's going to get the batteries for the... Who's going to... But when it comes to the Lord, like I already told him, I said, Dad, I, I know what I'm preaching for your funeral. I know the text I'm preaching because every time I come to visit you, you tell me the same thing and you tell it to me as if I'd never heard it and you tell it to me as if it's the most amazing thing and it is. And here it is. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Every time I come to the home, Dad says, do you know what's happening in that verse? Jesus is telling this apostle who's going to kill his people, Jesus is saying, I am so close to my people that when you hurt them, you hurt me. Mark, do you know that verse? Every time I come. And I said, Dad, I do know that verse. And I'm glad that you remember that verse and that you talk about that verse. And Dad, I'm going to preach on that verse. Uh, if I'm alive, when you go to see your Savior. This verse is it for me. <laughs> John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world doesn't know us is that it did not know Him. 
Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. The grass withers, the flower fades, the Word of our God will stand forever. John starts his letter, and it's a circular letter. It's a letter that's meant to be shared with all the different churches, to be passed around. And he talks in the beginning of his letter. He, he says, and as, as John writes also in the Gospel, he, he writes in a similar Genesis, in the beginning, uh, in, in the Gospel of John, and in First John, that which was from the beginning, he says. He says, I knew Jesus, he says. I, I, I saw him with my very own eyes. He said, my hands have touched him. He says, what I'm proclaiming to you people is this Jesus. I, I got to see him. I got to be there with him. I got to watch him operate. I got to see him move towards the unclean and the sinful and the broken. I, I saw all that. That is who I'm proclaiming to you, this Savior, this Son of God, this is who I have seen. This is who I am proclaiming to you. That's how he starts. And then he talks. It's, it's all about love for John. It's all about love. Uh, love the brothers. Love and light, he says, go together. We walk into the light. That's what love does. It, it shines the light. It shows everything, good and bad and wrong and sinful. Love does that. It shows it all. Love the brothers, not loving the world. First John 2, don't love the world. Don't love the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. The world is passing away, he says. Little children, it's going to be gone so soon. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. The book closes. Little children, he says, keep yourselves from idols. Now, I feel an affinity with this apostle. And I think it's because I'm getting older. And I look at you at times, and I'm like, little children, don't do this. Little children love one another. Little children forgive one another. Little children, he says, keep yourselves from idols. So 1 John 3, 1 and 2. What kind of love... Why do I love this verse? I love it because it, the way it ends. It ends with this promise. And this is the promise that I've held on to for the last year. And I hope I hold on to it to the very end of my life. We will become like him. It's amazing for John. He's like, not only is God's love so amazing, uh, not only is it an adopting love, not only is it a truthful love, but it's a transforming love. And, and we're going to be like him. This who I saw, who I touched, who I encountered, this unchangeable son of the living God, we're going to become like him. We're going to become like him. Those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ will become like him. Now, I don't know who you want to become like. I don't know who you have in your mind that, that you want to be like. I know that for my kids... When I would go into their room and they would want to put up this poster or that poster or you know, they'd want to wear the jersey of somebody, in my mind as a father, I'm like, oh no, my son Jordan wants to be like Eddie Vedder. Oh no, 
Who knows Eddie Vedder? Anybody know who Eddie Vedder is? See, just, just a few. Supposedly he is ranked number seven all time, number seven best rock and roll lead singer for Pearl Jam, Eddie Vedder. Worth about $100 million right now if you look up you know, net worth of celebrities. Eddie Vedder. So he had this picture of Eddie Vedder. I'm like, no, son, put the Apostle Paul up on your wall. Put your grandpa on your wall. Don't put Eddie Vedder. That's not who I want you to think about. That's not who I want you to look like or, or be like. Right? We think about that stuff. If you're a parent, we think about that. Who are my kids listening to? Is it a musician? Is it an author? Is it a sports hero? Who are they going to be like? And remember at seminary, all us geeks, all us little Hebrew Greek geeks getting all excited about all the great things we were learning, we wanted to be like this pastor or that pastor. And then you meet them and you tell them, oh, my dream is to be just like you. And if they're at all humble, you know what they say? Oh, no, you don't, right? No, you don't. Ask my wife. <laughs> you don't want to be like me. Ask my kids. No, you don't want to be like me. Who do you want to be like? And I would say that for us as human beings, that, that picture, mm -hmm. that hope of who we become, of what we'll be like, it directs us. It directs our decisions, our time, our money, our thoughts. And the beautiful thing about this passage is the Apostle John is saying, little children, you're going to be like him. That's the path that Christianity leads to, to become like Jesus, to become like him. It's what I long for. It was funny, I was thinking about these posters, and I think I told you when I was younger, I had this almost life-side poster of Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, and I had it right there in front of my squat rack because tall guys hate doing squats. There's not too many guys that like doing leg work. Leg day is usually the day everybody who lifts weights tends to avoid, right? We all want our arms to look big, our chest to look big, you know, but leg day is such a pain. So I had this picture of Arnold on leg day right there at the squat, right? That, that's who I want to be like. Who are we going to be like? A couple weeks ago I was in Colorado and I met my niece's boyfriend and we spent some time together talking. At the end he said, I know who you are. You're a, co you're a combination of Owen Wilson and Robin Williams. Yeah, that was pretty funny. And then he said, but you have the body of Dobby from Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, so I encouraged her to break up with him. What a loser. Uh, anyway, who will we be like? What are we looking to be like? The love of God, properly grasped, gives the Christian eternal hope. The love of God properly grasped, understanding this love of God gives the Christian eternal hope. So the, the, letter, the passage starts out with this question. See what kind of love he's given to us. Or what kind of love the authorized version has. What manner of love is this? When we were kids, we used to sing, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. What manner, what type of love? That, that, uh, that verb, what type, that, that question comes in Matthew chapter 8, verse 27. What sort of man is this, the disciples say? 
Even the wind and the sea obey him. Remember, he is asleep and it's storming. And he wakes up and he rebukes the wind and the sea is calm. And the disciples look at each other and like, what kind of man is this? He has just spoken to the wind and the seas and the waves. What kind of man is this? The Apostle John is using that same word. What kind of love is this? This is a love that is just unknown in the world. Remember a few weeks ago I said, I wish we had a different word for it. Because it's just that the, the term love so ubiquitous to mean all sorts of things. But the apostle here is saying, no, there is a kind of love. There is a type of love that God the Father has for his children that is otherworldly. It's completely different than what we experience. At our best, we might come close to it. The best parent might scratch the surface of it, but the apostle says, oh, this love of the Father, what manner, what type. I am overwhelmed. As an old man, I love that. John is overwhelmed. The deep theological things like no that doesn't overwhelm me after all these years oh little children what I'm amazed at is the way the father loves me his love for me is overwhelming it's otherworldly and so I want to just look at this these verses and we explain what kind of love is it I said earlier it is a love that is adopting it is a love that is truthful and it is a love of that transforms. And I confess to you, there are times, I think even as a minister of the gospel, I am afraid to dive into the depth of his love because I think we may lose control. Let me explain. There is a tendency to think that if the people of God really grasp his love, then they'll sin freely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they'll feel like, well, he still loves me, so I can do whatever I want. And that makes me afraid at times. If I'm sure that he loves me, I may not even have to go to worship because I'm not earning his favor anymore by going to worship. I may not have to give anymore. Uh, because he loves me in Christ. And so no amount of gift or service is going to increase that. And so quite honestly, there are times, even as a pastor, I think I'm afraid to dive into the depths of that love. But I also think that if we don't occasionally have those thoughts come out, that we probably have not fully presented the love of God. I think if you would ask my children, probably if you'd ask them, when were you convinced that your dad loved you? When were you convinced your mom loved you? I think probably to a person they would all say, after they had done the worst thing possible to me, (laughs) after they had hurt us in the worst way, after they'd broken Kuiper rule number three, four, and five, and we still love them. And so I, I, I think that unless occasionally, I'm not saying it's the right or the healthy thing to do, but I think the fallen human brain says if I'm secure with God and he loves me regardless of my performance, unless we occasionally probably go there and think, that means I could get away with this and he's still going to accept me. I think unless you get there on occasion, you probably have not grasped the depth of his 
love. It's an otherworldly love. First of all, it's adopting. So verse 1 and 2, it's because of God's great love. Behold what manner of love it is, that we would be called His children. I love the apostle doesn't say that we're just called His children. He goes, no, that is actually what we are. Then he says it again. We are God's children now. We're not becoming God's children. We're not on our way to being purified, and then we'll become God's children. He goes, no, the love of God says, I will adopt you. You are mine. You belong to me right now. It's an adopting love. Why does he adopt? Because no one is naturally born to God. All are born at war against him. All are born hoping and thinking that we are God. Why adopt? Why do we adopt as human beings? Sometimes we adopt because there's pity. We see someone that's not able to care for themselves. We have pity. Some of us might uh, choose to adopt because guilt. I have so much, they have so little. I remember sitting in an orphanage in Nepal, and we brought a bunch of students, and I didn't even think about it, but one of the students, her, she had been adopted. And she's sitting there with these two little orphans, and she's sobbing. It's like, I didn't deserve to be adopted. I haven't been good to my adopted family, my adopted parents. I've been a pill to them. I, I, I didn't deserve Look at these kids. They're wonderful. They're, they're, so, they're so needy. It's not fair. I'm like, no, it's not fair. Sometimes we adopt because it's our responsibility. We're their godparent. Brother, sister, friend dies, and we adopt their children. My brother Jonathan has eight children. I said, if he had number nine, we're no longer the godparents. We're only going to take eight. We're going to have a little contest. In the top eight, we'd adopt if you two die. So that one of those kids is going to have to find help elsewhere. Why do we do it? Maybe it's a responsibility. Maybe we're lonely. Need someone to be with me when I'm gone, when I need help. Maybe we adopt to complete our family. The sticker on our minivan just has a dog and a cat. We need to put a kid on there. Um, but God adopts because he loves us. It's the love of God that makes him adopt. It is a love of God that chooses the needy. Deuteronomy says, don't for a minute, Israel. They're on the verge of entering the promised land. Moses is re-giving re them the law again after all their wanderings. He says, don't you dare think that God chose you because you're numerous or because you're wonderful. It's like you are few in number and you're stiff-necked. I chose you because I am a God who adopts out of his love. Ephesians, while you were dead. Romans 5, while we were his enemies. Probably the saddest scene in any movie is those scenes in orphanages, isn't it? When here come some parents and all the kids scramble to get dressed up nicely. You've seen it. I mean, it's probably in tons of films. Little Orphan Annie, whatever. Their kids are all getting dressed, they're all nice, and, and here come the adoptive parents, and they drive a nice car, and they're dressed really well, and they've got plenty of money, and the orphans are lined up, and they're hoping, will they take me, will they take me, will they take me? And then the sadness afterwards, when those didn't get chosen, I'm too old, I'm too fat, I'm the wrong color, I'm the wrong gender, I didn't get chosen. The beauty of God's adoption is it has nothing to do with our worth. It has nothing to do with anything good that we have brought. God says, I'm going to choose a people because I love them. 
I'm going to choose stiff-necked, broken, dead, rebellious. Because in so doing, I will show the amazing depth of my love. I think it's one of the reasons the world gets angry when Christians call sin, sin. And I think it's because the world tends to think that Christians, that we believe that God loves us because we're good. I think that's what the world outside believes. Christian people think God loves them because they don't do this, they don't do that, and they're not involved in this. And that's why God loves them. And so when the church calls something a sin, the world is taking it as saying, see, you're never going to be enough for God to choose you. As opposed to the church saying, there's only reason God chose us because he loves us. He chose us in our sin to be his. It is entirely different. He adopts to save. So as this text goes, I want you to see the, the order is important. The first thing that we read in verse 1 and 2 is God's adopting love. The second part of God's love in verse 2 is God's truthful love. So his love adopts, but his love is truthful. And we see that in this phrase, and what we will be has not yet appeared or has not yet been manifested. We call this in theology the already not yet. And so sometimes we speak in those terms, already a Christian is declared righteous. So already Mark Kuyper stands before Almighty God and God says, you are righteous, not just forgiven, you are righteous. You have everything that is necessary to be accepted into my kingdom is, is on your account. You are righteous. So already, right now I'm already, I am declared righteous, but we say not yet because I'm not yet actually righteous. So the apostle we are already his sons. That is who we are. But we are not yet what we will be. And Christians, we talk about this at times. You've seen the bumper stickers that say, have patience, God's not finished with me yet. You've probably seen that, or t-shirts. And that is true. God is not finished. And the apostle is saying that here. He's being truthful. You are not yet what you will be. Now that should give us some sense of relief. We are not yet what we will be. In this church, our kids are not yet what they will be. Our parents are not yet what they will be. Your pastor is not yet what he will be. Your elders are not yet what they will be. You get the point? None of us are what we will be. And so we're not afraid to confront. We should not be afraid to point out when we've wronged someone or we feel wronged by another person. We shouldn't be shocked when we find every marriage in our church isn't wonderful and stellar. Every kid is not quite as obedient as they should be. We are not yet. That's the truth of the gospel. It's the truth of his love. He looks down. He says, I love you, but you're not yet what you will be. But I'm not going to leave you where you are. I'm not going to leave you there. It's not up to you to figure out. I'm going to make you right. And really, that's the third thing. It's a transforming love. The end of verse 2. What does he say? When we see him as he is. Uh, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We will actually be transformed by God's love. We will be changed as 
people. It starts when the Holy Spirit calls us to Himself. It goes on through our life and it reaches its culmination when we see Him. That's when we will become like Him. When we see Him. It's why the worship of God is so vitally important. It's why the worship of Almighty God is to be done rightly. Because in the worship of Almighty God, He is showing Himself to us in His Word, in His sacrament, and in worship. He is showing Himself to us. He is wrestling our love for other things, as John said, the things of the world. He is wrestling our love and our, our uh, affections towards those things. And He's saying, no, for you to be transformed, you have to change what you love. All right? That's why the poster of Eddie Vedder, my son, is like, okay, he's a great guitarist, he's a good lead singer, he's a great lyricist, but I don't want you to be like him. Oh no, that would be a miserable failure if that's, that's your goal, son. And we do that, we, we do that with all, of, all the people that we know and love. Who are you following? Who are you becoming like? The beautiful promise of the gospel is that one day Jesus will return. And when he returns, those who know him will be like him. If we die before he returns, when we see him in glory, we will be like him. It really is what we long for. When you think about that, as a human being, it's what you long for. We don't long just to be forgiven, do we? Right? We don't, in any kind of relationship, my relationship with my wife, I don't want to just be known as the husband that was forgiven. I want to be known as the husband who's right. <laughs> who's, 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 who's right. Who's righteous. And, and that's what God is saying. When you, when, you, when you come to the end of your life, the end of your days, and you're with him, you're not just forgiven. You're actually made right. You're made righteous. We see him as he is. And that's why our job is to search the scriptures. It is to spend time in his word. It is to spend time in meditation and prayer and to say, I, 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 I want to be more like Jesus. The beauty is, the more we know of him, you'll never ever be embarrassed of him. He never lets you down. There's nothing, anything that you should ever be ashamed of. The way he treats people. The stories in the gospel, we see him and we become like that which we love. Seeing is not just believing, I put in the conclusion. Seeing is transforming. The more we see him, the more we become like him. Brothers and sisters who put your faith in Christ, you are his children now. Take these words as encouragement. You are his children now. You're not yet what you will become. But when he appears, you will be like him. That's who you will be like. Love needs an outlet, doesn't it? God's love has an outlet. It's in the adopting of his children. Our love is to look like his love. 
Our love is to be similar. It is to be an adopting kind of love. It is to take people that may not deserve to be loved. They may be different than us. And it is to love them. It is to be truthful to them. And it is to show them Jesus. We have one big issue next week. We've got a couple big issues uh, in our denomination. And I want you to pray for them. One is the issue of critical race theory. How do we as a denomination address uh, historic or systemic problems that have been a result of racism over the centuries? What's the best way to approach those things? Uh, Another has to do with same-sex attraction. What is appropriate? What is allowable? How do we we, uh, discipline and the truth has to come out though love is truth right love is not hiding things we're not loving to a person when we don't engage with them truthfully and so i encourage you to pray for us in our denomination that, that we would exhibit these characteristics a love that reflects the love of god that that adopts and reaches the least of these, the worst of these, that is willing to suffer great loss to show love to others, but a love that is truthful, a love that points everyone to the transforming person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for worship, and we thank you now for the sacrament that you, Jesus, looked at your disciples and you knew that they would be afraid that they would flee you had spent years with them you had seen them argue over who was the greatest amongst them you'd seen them be jealous over the gifts of others you'd seen them act in fear and yet father your son gave his life for them We pray, Lord, that the love of Christ would have great and glorious effect upon us. It wouldn't make us lax in our duties, but it would have the opposite effect. Uh, Overwhelming love for you would drive us to know more of you, to give away more of our stuff, our time, our rights and to have great hope about the future. Regardless of what happens to our country, regardless of what happens to our denomination, regardless of what happens to our city, and we'd have this great hope that you have promised that one day we'll be like you. I pray that that would be the goal of our lives, would be the hope of our lives. Take now these elements, Father, and set them apart that our souls might be nourished. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.